Hey there, welcome to the Favorite Church Podcast. We are a church for imperfect people who want to know God and make Him famous. In this episode, we'll be revisiting a message from one of our Sundays in church. Let's listen to our senior pastor, James Aiden. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name's James. I'm so glad that you're here. And this week, last Monday, I went to the gym for the first time this year. I don't want to make a big deal about it, but I went to the gym on Monday and I couldn't move on Tuesday. And I woke up Wednesday and it was even worse. I couldn't move my shoulder. My daughter had to help me put on my t-shirt. I'm like, baby, just put it on. Just put it on. I had to put my arms out. She's like, daddy, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, daddy hurts. He was at the gym. She's like, why'd you go to the gym? I said, cause mommy's so hot. Daddy's gotta be hot too. And, uh, and so I've, I've been three times this week. I've got my gym buddies. Uh, we hang out and we talk. Albie, Albie works me out. And this is Albie. And uh, he works me out, works me out, works me out. He spots me. He gets down really low. Are you okay, Pastor James? I've got you. I've got you. <laughs> yeah, it's only 10 kilos, but still, I need the spot. I argue with him all the time. He's like, okay, uh, James, we're going to do 15 reps. I'm like, nope. We're going to do 10. He goes, okay, pastor. <laughs> so uh, we've been working out. It's fun. I told it, for those of you that are new, you're like, wow, this is weird. Why is the pastor making such a big deal about him working out? Well, um, I told everyone at the beginning of the year that I was going to join a gym. And so I'm just being accountable to my congregation that I'm going to join a gym. I've joined the gym. And we found four abs the other day. We found four abs, and uh, we just need to find the other two. It's covered by years of McDonald's and donuts. Years of it, but we're gonna get there, and uh, we're gonna fast a little bit more this year. Wasn't the fast, wasn't the fast so incredible for losing weight? Wasn't it just amazing for losing weight? And uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that a lot of people always tell me about our church that they love is how authentic we are as a church. A lot of people always say, we, Kate and I have had dinners at people's houses this week in our church. And, and, and I love the conversation because a lot of times conversations turn into people going, do you know what we love about favor? And I'm like, ooh, what do you love? And, uh, and it's like people feel like they got to say it. And, and I love it because I love hearing what people love about church because, you know, this cut me and I bleed favor church. I love this place. And a lot of the things that people say is they love the authenticity. They love that it's real on stage, that the people that get up and speak and that lead are, are real. Uh, the people that they meet at the front door are real. The people that show them to their seat are authentic and real. People that are looking after your kids or your teenagers are real. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we have in our church is you're never, ever allowed to grab a microphone and get on stage if you're a different person on stage than you are off the stage. Uh, like, if you know me, for those of you that have the pleasure of knowing me, like, I'm, like I'm the same person on and off the stage. In fact, it's, it's easier off the stage because you could just walk away. When I'm on the stage, you can't walk away. Like, you have to sit there and listen to me, so suffer the next few minutes. But, but we're the same people, and, and I just love authenticity. I love authenticity in people. I love it when people stand for something and they're passionate about it and and they're actually passionate about it 
and they don't just flip and flop or become a chameleon where they change, uh, you know, the color of who they are depending on where they are and that type of thing. I love, you know, even when it comes to religious beliefs like, um, you know, is, is there a God, is there not a God, atheism. Like atheism, I mean, you could be in this place tonight and, and you're an atheist. Hey, I'm so glad that you're in church. Uh, I hope that you enjoy it and that you feel loved. And even if you don't believe in God, God believes in you and he loves you. And, and, and I, I, I like people that are actually passionate about atheism. I do. Even though we completely disagree on the whole idea of, of a God and a supernatural higher being, I, I actually love it. I mean, I've, I got a lot of respect for true atheists true atheist I got a lot of respect for because I just think it takes a takes a lot more faith to believe that there's nothing than to believe that there's something like I do and I'm not trying to have a joke I mean I got a lot of respect so I actually like it when I meet an atheist and they really genuinely believe that there is nothing not agnostic, but atheist, that there is not. I actually have respect for them because not only do they talk the talk, but they walk the walk. They stand up for what they believe. The shame in life is having someone who claims to believe something, but their life and actions don't back up what they believe. That's a shame, no matter what it is. If I could go a little bit deeper and bring it into our church context, uh, the worst thing I could think of being myself is being an unbelieving believer. Do you know what an unbelieving believer is? An unbelieving believer is a Christian by name, but atheist by action. An unbelieving believer ticks Christian on their birth certificate, but when they're in the middle of the crisis, they deny Christ. An unbelieving believer is someone that's found in church, but God can never be found in them. Oh, it's going to be one of those sermons. Yeah. An unbelieving believer is someone that claims that they have a relationship with God, but there is no ounce of the reality of who God is being displayed in their life. They believe, but they're an unbeliever. And they've allowed sin of unbelief to creep into their life. I'm not going to label anyone here an unbelieving believer tonight because I don't know the extent of your story. I know some of you very well, but even those people, I don't know the fullness of your heart. Only God knows the depths and the wideness of your heart and who you are. But this is what I could confidently say, is that every person in this place has a little bit of the unbelieving believer inside of us that we're faced with. If you walk your Christian journey, maybe some of you have walked it for many years. Maybe some of you have just started it. But at some point, you are going to be faced with moments where there's unbelief of God, unbelief of his plans, unbelief of his promises, and they just begin to creep in. Did God really say that? Does God really think that? Is God really going to provide? And the Bible is very clear about what God thinks of those people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus talks about that we're the salt of the earth, but when the salt loses its saltiness, what's the point of having salt? As in, we look like salt, but if there's no saltiness, we're useless. We're just little grains being put into food. In Revelation, God goes even harder and deeper. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, and, and he says it in, in such a, a confronting way where he says, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. 
But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Isn't that incredible? This is the same God that loves everyone. (laughs) Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, but God makes it very clear in this way, is that he would respect you more if you were hot or cold. But the unbelieving believer, the lukewarm, you know what he says? I'll spit you out of my mouth. God actually makes it very clear that he would prefer you to be an atheist rather than an unbelieving believer that's lukewarm, that's in the middle. Is this too hard for anyone? Should I just pack up the Bible and stop preaching from it tonight? Right? Because that's, that's what the Word of God says. That's what he says. To be an unbelieving believer, to be found in church, but God not to be found in your life. And so tonight, I want to look at two stories in the Bible where we can see how the sin of unbelief can creep into our life and creep into our Christian walk. And so if you're taking notes tonight, which I really hope you are because Jesus is watching you, uh, it, the title of my message is simply this, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Believable. Some of y'all young people don't even know what that is on the screen. It's called Windows 3.1. Just turn the person next to you and just look at them and say, you're unbelievable. First point tonight is simply this, is that what can cause unbelief to creep into our lives is this. Number one, familiarity. I got two points, so write this down. Familiarity. There's a story found in Matthew chapter 13, and it's about Jesus. And it's not really an encouraging story. It's more of a story that challenges us, and I love it because of the challenge that it's given me in my life. This is what it says in verse 54 of Matthew 13. He, being Jesus, returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. (laughs) He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, all his sisters living right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. And then he gets to one of the worst sentences that's ever been written in the Bible. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus, God wrapped in flesh, could not do many miracles because of the unbelief of the people. Let's go back. Jesus walks into his hometown saying hi to everyone. Hey, doing brothers, James, Simon, Judas, good. Mother Mary, it's great to see you. Love you. So good that you're here today. He goes into the synagogue. He's hanging out in the synagogue and he begins to teach. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? He is speaking to believers because they are amazed with his wisdom and they are captivated by the power that he has in his miracles. He's not speaking to people outside of church. He's in church. He's in the synagogue. He turned up 5.30 p.m. to favor church. He was there early enough to hear the two praise songs that we have at the beginning of the service. He was there. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to believers in our context. And they're amazed. Wow. His wisdom. Sobrang wisdom. Grabe, matalino. 
And they love it. And they're sitting there. And then, then we see familiarity seep in. Because all of a sudden, their amazement and their wonder of who Jesus is is replaced with, hold on a second. That, and that, that's Mary's son, right? Mary, you know, the one that got pregnant before she was married. <laughs> His brothers and sisters, they hang out around town. We know, we know this guy. And all of a sudden, familiarity set in, and familiarity was the thing that stopped the access that they had given Jesus. They had given Jesus access to speak, but when the familiarity came in, it stopped the access. And what was worse about the familiarity is it didn't stay there. The familiarity led to offense. It says then they got offended. It sounds like church. That was a joke for anyone that's been in church longer than three months. Sounds like church. Familiarity led to offense, and then... It led to Jesus not being able to do many miracles. God's God. He's going to do what he wants anyway. He's sovereign. His ways are higher than our ways. If he wants to do a miracle, he can. But isn't it crazy that if God was restricted because of unbelief, surely we would struggle with restrictions when we have unbelief in our heart. This familiarity breeds unbelief in the believer's heart. And we've got to come against familiarity. Now, here's the thing. We don't have the same struggle that they had. We didn't grow up with Jesus like going to school. Like we didn't have, we, Jesus wasn't in school with us. He wasn't making tables for us with Daddy Joseph. You know, he wasn't there talking to girls being like, girl, I'm going to die for you. Like he, we didn't have to deal with, with, with competition from Jesus. Like, like so, so, so we haven't grown up physically with Jesus, but especially in our nation, here, Jesus is everywhere. He's either on a cross or he's got his arms out or he's on jeep knees. He's on try. Jesus is everywhere. God is, is everywhere. And so here's the problem with it is that we've grown familiar with just Jesus and God as this thing that our nation is a part of. And we treat church as this thing where we just come because we're supposed to do it and we're supposed to be here. And if I'm here, God's going to give me a good week. Like he takes an attendance. Oh, they weren't here this week? Curses will come upon you. God doesn't do that. Only the pastoral staff. I'm joking. We pray for you every week. <laughs> we treat church like God's taking attendance. If we're good, we're good. Why? Because we've become familiar with Jesus. We've got to fight against the familiarity of church and fight against the familiarity of Christ. Listen, if I can be honest with you, I'm a professional Christian. Y'all choose to come to church. I get paid to come to church. Like I'm here, like I'm here all the time. I mean, you think, oh my gosh, I've heard that song and we're going to sing it again. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? I've been left astounded and amazed about 7,300 times in the last decade since that song came out. 
This is the first time you heard this message today. This is the third time I preached this message today. Like I've been to more meetings than you've been to dinners with your family. I've grown up in church. I've done, I, I, I should be the most familiar person in this place, but I fight it. I fight familiarity because I don't want unbelief to begin to creep in my heart because I don't want it to be like, oh, it's just the same thing. Oh, we're just going through the motions and singing the song again. We're just doing the same thing that we're doing. We're just going through doing it. We can't do that. Or else what we end up doing is creating a group of people that worship religious traditions more than Jesus. We don't come here to worship religious traditions. We come here to worship Jesus. I sat in the corner there and I I came out. I came out a little bit later in worship and we began to sing, leave me astounded. I've literally sung that chorus more than I can think of. And yet, I still lifted my hands, felt the presence of God, and began to cry in the middle of worship. Because as I sat there, I looked across our church, and I was astounded with what God's doing in our church. And I'm singing this song, Leave Me Astounded, and I've been singing this song for years, and God's actually doing it. I'm amazed with what God's doing. And there's a softness. And so I don't just sing the songs like rote. Not just singing it without realizing what I'm saying. I'm going, God, leave me down. Spirit fall. God, spirit fall in this place. You know, it's the greatest way that we can kill familiarity in our life other than just being in the presence of God and letting God break you. I found the greatest way is to hang out with people that have just become Christians. It's awesome. Like, my, when's the last time you've hung out with someone? Seriously, when's the last time you hung out with someone that just gave their heart to Jesus? I'm not asking you whether you led them to Jesus. I'm just saying they gave their heart to Jesus at church or they're your friend. And you, it, it, it's incredible. See, I think a lot of times the problem that we have is familiarity begins to rise up inside of us because we've lost the wonder of God and salvation. Especially those of us that have grown up in church. Can I just ask a question? Who here has gone to church since they were a child? Can you just lift your hands so I know who I'm talking about? That's a lot of people that have been around church for a long time. And you can grow so familiar with it. And you can actually lose the wonder of what Christ did on the cross. You can lose that wonder of, I am a sinner and I deserve hell. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, I now have access to God because of what he did. And oh, that's wonderful. Some of us have lost the wonder. And unfortunately, those people seem to find each other. And when you get enough of them, they create a church. And they have a church devoid of the presence of God and devoid of people finding Jesus. And it just becomes a club where they spiritually pat themselves on the back and try and go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the word. And no one is getting saved. And they've lost the wonder of God and they've just begun to intellectualize God. You want to get the wonder of God? Hang out with someone that is in the middle of experiencing the wonder of salvation. It's beautiful. It's challenging. I could tell you a hundred different stories of people in our church, but I'm going to tell you one. One young man in the last 12 months, given his heart to Jesus, was invited to church by his friend, grew up 
Catholicism in the Philippines, as you do, and uh, came to church, heard the gospel delivered like this for the first time in his life. As he sat there, went, this makes sense. This is what I've been missing. Puts his hand up, gives his heart to Jesus. Wasn't an emotional decision. Wasn't because we had the, the keyboard up and the haze whoosh, and everything. It wasn't that. Uh, it was just because he actually had a revelation that that Jesus is real and that Jesus saved him. And since that moment, his life has changed. He still had problems. He's still going through stuff. He's still on a journey. But there's this excitement inside of him for Christ. I love it. He's gotten so excited. This is usually what happens. Can I just chat? You, you get your own challenge from this. He was so excited about Jesus that he wanted everyone around him to know what Jesus had done in his life. And so he created a chat group with 15 of his friends who were completely unchurched and invited them all to church and kept putting pressure on them. And every single one of those people have come to church. Most of them have loved it. Some of them have even given their hearts to Jesus. And some of them are here tonight. I'm not going to ask the question, but when's the last time you got so excited about your relationship with Jesus that you invited someone to church? This guy, God's changed his life. He's excited. And you know what it does? It challenges me because he wants to learn. He wants to grow. A month ago, Kate and I went to the Planet Shakers conference, and he came along with us, and we're all sitting there, and, and, he's, and he's new to church. Like, he's not the Christianese person. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know that when you say, how are you? Como esta? You're supposed to say, oh, the Lord's been good to me. Hallelujah. <laughs> He, 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 he hasn't carried the card for very long. He doesn't know the passwords, right? And so... <laughs> So everything's new to him, right? So, so like some of the songs that we sing in our church, he thinks that we wrote all the songs, right, that, that we sing in our church. So we're at this Planet Shakers thing, and all of a sudden, it like the, the thing comes in, and, 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 the, and the song comes in, and he goes, <gasps> and he looks at me, and he goes, <gasps> they wrote this song? And, and me and Kate are like, yeah, and he goes, oh, And it was Araneta, so there's not much space within the seats, but, but this limited space he had. Right? And he's there, and I'm standing down the aisle looking at this guy, pumped about this praise song that he loves with 20,000 other people in Araneta going, God, I want that wonder. Don't ever think that you're too mature to learn. That's another thing. Don't you dare use the excuse of your maturity to mask the familiarity that's grown in your life. Oh, I've seen this all before in church. Oh, I've, I've been around for a while. Oh, I just let the young people go up. Let the young people do that. Don't, don't use maturity as an excuse for you to be able to be familiar with what God is doing. I've sat with 65-year-old people that have given their hearts to Jesus, and it doesn't matter your age. Passion is not determined by your age. You might have been a Christian for 45 years. God bless you. Don't be sour about it. You should be more passionate than the rest of us because you've realized how hard life has been and how much you needed Jesus. My dad is 65 years old. In two weeks, he's coming here to preach. Um, he's great. He's old. He's white. And uh, he can speak the Tagalog really well. He's a lot better than me. And, uh, but I'm a better preacher, so <laughs> evens out. And uh, 
My dad's 65. I mean, you talk about professional Christian, this guy, you know, he, he's been a professional Christian for 45 years. He's been a, uh, you know, he was an amateur Christian before then. And, uh, and then he moved up into the professional ranks and <laughs> he, he, he's been doing it all his life. You, you know what I love about my dad? My dad every day wakes up and he reads the Bible and he journals every single day. And when God gives him a fresh revelation, which happens quite regularly, he emails his journal to me with a little thing of, hey, this is what God spoke to me about this morning. He's 65 years old, and he's still getting fresh revelation from heaven, and he's excited about it. And I look at that, and I say, God, let that fire burn in me. I may not need to go around yelling and screaming, no, I'm a Christian, you know, but, but the familiarity, I want familiarity to die in my life, and I want passion and hunger and excitement for who Jesus is to begin to rise. I don't want to lose the wonder of Jesus. Is that easy to do? No. It's not easy to keep the wonder of Jesus. It's hard sometimes. Like, sorry, can we be real for a moment? Like, life sucks sometimes. But when you know and you gave your heart, when you gave your heart, let, oh, let me say this. If you give your heart to church, then you'll become familiar and you'll lose the wonder very quickly. But if you give your heart to Jesus then the wonder of his salvation should stay with you forever. It'll be challenged, but it'll stay with you forever. Last week, I talked about King David for those that were here. King David became familiar with the presence of God. He'd, he'd known God since a young man. He had <laughs> defeated Goliath. He's playing the harp for, for King Saul. The presence of God comes in whenever he plays. A calming spirit would come upon the king. He knew God. A man described as being someone, a, a man after God's own heart. But, but let me tell you, David had become so familiar with the presence of God that his, his heart had become calloused, like your, your, your hands get calloused and rough. It become calloused to the point where he was able to commit adultery and then murder the husband of the woman. Like, you can't do that if you're, if you're soft with God. You can't commit adultery and then murder the husband if things are a-okay with you and God. You know, yeah, 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 you know, you got some issues in your relationship, right? So David, he has this. The prophet Nathan comes in, like I explained last week, points the finger at him, brings the rebuke of God. David humbled, you know, grieves before the Lord, repents, and then he writes Psalm 51, an amazing psalm that you need to read in your own time. In verse 11 last week, we talked about it. He said, uh, um, cast me not away. From thy presence, O Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's what he says. And then in verse 12, which I love, which I want to read to you today, he says this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you grew up in church, it would have been restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That's, that's what old translations say, right? David, in his place of humility, known that he had grown familiar with God, came back to God, said, cast me not away from your presence. Don't take it. And God, restore to me the joy. Give me back the joy, the joy of my salvation. I've pushed it away. God never took it away. David pushed it away. Life happened, but he's saying, give me back 
the joy. Today, get your wonder back. Get your wonder for Jesus back. Not for church, for Jesus. Get your wonder back for his presence. In his presence, his fullness of joy. In his presence, you can receive healing. In his presence, there's breakthrough. Get your wonder back for the presence of God. Get your wonder back for the salvation and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Get the wonder. Get the joy. Restore unto me the joy. Don't let familiarity rob you of the joy of your salvation and begin to create unbelief in your heart. So number one, what can cause unbelief to rise up? It's familiarity. Number two, it's disappointment. It's a tough one. It's disappointment. I'm going to read a, a story from Mark chapter 9. It goes. It's quite a long story, so I want you to follow with me on the screen. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. Isn't that incredible? Overwhelmed with wonder because of Jesus, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. That's what Jesus says. You unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can't, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. What an incredible story. Let's go back and have a look at the father's life. The father's life, just plain and simply, full of disappointment. This has been happening in, in his son since he was a boy. And, and it wasn't just something that was annoying. It wasn't just a badly behaved teenager. It was a boy that was possessed by a spirit, by a demon that would make him go rigid, that would make him convulse, that would, that would make him foam at the mouth to the point where it would try and kill the boy by throwing him into the fire. And so you can imagine this father's probably got a boy with burns all over his body because of the fires that this spirit threw him into or, or, or trying to save this boy. How many times did the dad have to save the boy from drowning? How do you think the dad felt every night that he went to bed when he'd just have to save his son from killing himself through the spirit? drowning or, or burning having to deal with the whispers of the neighbors oh here comes that boy here's that's the one that's the demon possessed boy oh here comes chucky right coming down the street like <laughs> like all like the disappointment 
that this father would feel right. And then finally, he goes to the disciples because he hears that the disciples can heal people, that they've been healing people. They've been hanging out with this guy called Jesus who claims that he's the Messiah. And they have seen healings. And they've seen people, you know, have been set free. And then they go to the disciples, and the disciples can't heal him. Can, can you just empathize for a moment with this man's disappointment, this man's failed attempts to try and help his son? You know, I believe what happens when you get disappointed is that every time there's a disappointment that comes into your heart that you don't allow God to immediately heal or fix, it's like a thorn or a weed going into your spirit. And it's a thorn that goes in that cannot be easily removed without the help of God. Who here has ever been disappointed by God in your life? Put up your hand. I'm putting up 10 fingers right now. Right? A lot of times we get disappointed by God because, because we believe the false gospel. Unfortunately, there's pastors and preachers that, um, I don't know how else to say it, but they just they don't know how to preach. They preach the wrong gospel. They preach a gospel that give your heart to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Give your heart to Jesus and your eternity is going to be okay. But between now and then, life still is life. And it's still hard. Give your heart to Jesus. The grass is going to be greener tomorrow. No, it's not. It's Manila. If you can find grass, it's probably not green. Right? Like, so we sell this lie. We sell this, we sell this thing of like, you know, give your heart, everything's going to be good. And then what happens is when the first disappointment comes along, we're like, oh, but it shouldn't have been like that. And then the next, oh, and then the next, oh, and we have all these disappointments come in. Man, people become Christians and guess what? You still lose jobs. People become Christians, people still break up with you. You become a Christian, unfortunately, people still lose marriages goes on and on you lose this you do that like when you become a christian it doesn't mean that everything is perfect it means though that you get to live with perfection inside of you which is christ and his spirit and this man faced so many disappointments with his son and it led him to the point where he got to jesus and he said these words if you can ha, if you can i love jesus jesus is way better than what people give him credit for. Pete, you know that statue of Jesus with the long hair and he's got the robe on, he's like this. You know that statue? Like, we see that statue because everywhere in the Philippines and we get the wrong idea. Like, Jesus is like, Jesus is a bad man, man. Like, Jesus, I love Jesus because Jesus looks at this guy and he's like, if you can like modern day translation, Jesus would have been like, if you can't, don't you know who I am? I am the great I am. I am the son of man. There ain't nothing that I can do. I'm not a rapper. I'm white. I'm white. What? Y'all never seen a white rapper before? No, no, no. That was an old one for the people that know Eminem. If you can, Jesus is like, if you can. Isn't this incredible that this prayer has infiltrated the church? 
We start off in our Christianity, we're like, oh man, Jesus, heal this person. Yes, Jesus. Person doesn't get healed. Okay. Jesus, Jesus, heal this person. I command the sickness to go. Okay. Doesn't get healed. Okay. <laughs> Jesus, uh, heal this person in Jesus' name. Doesn't get healed. Jesus, if you can, please heal this person. The sin of unbelief has just crept into your heart. Because now you've given yourself a way out of not feeling bad if Jesus doesn't come through for you the way that you expect him to. And what we end up doing, and listen to me carefully, what we end up doing is we end up creating a theology based on our experience and not based on the word of God. And that's one of the most dangerous things that you can do as a Christian is to begin to base your theology on your own experience and not the word of God. Because your experience might say those three people didn't get healed, but the word of God says that Jesus wants to heal. And so if your experience is good, God is good, but you're going to have a bad experience at some point and then God's going to be bad. And that's why we then get these prayers. Let, let me tell you, well, when people pray these prayers in church, it, I, I, go, I, I freak out a little bit when they say, God, you know, it, let, if it's your will, we pray that you would bless these people. Like it's not God's will to bless people. Right? It, that's, a, that's, a, that's an unbelieving prayer. You've allowed the sin of unbelief to come in. God wants to bless you. God, if you want to, if it's your will, let this person be healed. It is God's will for this person to be healed. The Bible says it. God does not give... Let me tell you, let me just come against the lie sometimes. Is that There's a lie that people say, oh, well, God gave you this sickness, you know, to, to, to grow you as a person. No. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God never gives anyone a sickness. Sickness comes because we live in a fallen world because Adam didn't have enough guts to lead his wife back in the garden correctly. And thus meaning we have sin now, thus meaning we have sickness in the world. What God does is he allows that sickness in your body to grow character and strength inside of you. He allows that financial problem that you're going through to grow character and strength. He doesn't put it on you. He's a good God. Jesus talks about how much an earthly father would give good gifts to his son. How much more would a loving spiritual father in heaven want to give good gifts? It's a lie if you believe that you've been sick because God made you sick. It's a lie. God doesn't want you sick. So what we've done is this. This is what we've done in the church, modern day church. This is what we've done. We, we have our default in how we live. We have our default. And then we have something that I love. I love this thing. I call it the mystery box. The, the mystery box is a box that I just, I put everything in there that I don't understand right? Like all the questions of God, of universe. Well, if God's always been who created God, when we go down the rabbit hole of that and we just, so everything I don't understand, I put it in this box. Things I don't, things that God doesn't answer in the Bible, I put in everything to do with women. I just put all these things inside this mystery box because I don't understand anything inside of it, right? So, so there's the mystery box, right? And so what we have is we have our default. Now, unfortunately, 
this is, this is how we live in modern day Christianity. Is this, this is our default. We, we have defaulted to, okay, God, um, you know, if you can heal this person, uh, okay, but oh, oh, you didn't heal them. Okay, that's fine. All right, um, you know, God, well, I come to church, and oh, we're singing this song. Again, yeah, the same song. Okay, and oh, God, you're good, you know, because I'm a believer. I'm still a believer, so oh, oh, thank you. Thank you, God. Oh, but I guess, you know, I guess I've been naughty this year, so I didn't get that bonus this year, or, you know, I'm going through financial trouble, so maybe, you know, you don't like me this year or something like that, and so, so we have this default thing, and then what happens is this. Then we pray for some, somewhat, a miracle happens, or we, or we go to a healing service, and someone's leg grows back. Or someone's eye opens, or, or, or a deaf person begins to hear, or, or cancer just goes and a person's healed. And this is what we do. We go, whoa, wow, amazing, because we're still believers. We, we still love Jesus. We're like, wow, that's amazing. They got healed. Wow, the leg just grew back. This amazing, like, wow, the cancer's gone. Wow, they got married. Wow right like this this and so what we do is we go wow that's crazy i'm gonna put that in the mystery box because i don't understand it that's amazing and now when it's finished i'm gonna go back to praying god if you can and we return to our default god if you can oh god you know if it's your will let them be healed god if you you know if it's your will bring financial blessing and and we say this this oh this is what we need to do (laughs) switch it this is where we need to live. We need to switch it and take the mystery box. We need to live in the default of this. God, you can heal. God, it says in your word that by your stripes that we heal. God, it says in your word that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And so I'm going to walk and talk with that authority. The Bible says that I am the head and I'm not the tail. That blessing shall come on me and my family and the generations to come. This is my default. This is who I am. I stand on the word of God. I stand on what he says. I stand on his promises. He has plans that are good for me, to prosper me, not to harm me. He knew me before I was even a sprinkle in the sparkle of my parents' eye. He knew me. He loved me. He had a plan for me. And then, when I pray for someone and they don't get healed, I put it in my mystery box. God, I don't understand it. I don't know, I don't know why they didn't get healed. I don't know why they died. I don't, I don't know why we're struggling financially. But I'm going to put it in the mystery box because I don't understand it. But then I'm coming back to my default. You're a good God. You're a great God. You have good plans for me. You do want to heal. You died so that we could be healed. You love me. There's nothing that can separate me from your love. No height, no depth. Angels, principalities, demons. Nothing. This becomes my default. And when the disappointments come in, and they will, they will, if your theology and if your belief is centered on who the God in the Bible says that he is, then as quick as those disappointments come is as quick as they will leave. 
But if you let them sit, and if you let them stay, then they'll begin to grow. And unbelief will come in. And I promise you, it will not just affect you, it will affect your family. It will affect people around you. This man, father, says to Jesus, I can almost hear him crying out as he says it. The Bible uses the the word exclaimed. He says, I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. He exclaims to Jesus. Tonight in this place, there's people that have disappointments. And those disappointments have let unbelief creep into your heart. And you're the unbelieving believer. Let those disappointments, whether big or whether small, whether justified or not, you let them creep in and come in your heart. And in just a few minutes' time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to have a moment with God where you can exclaim, I believe, help me with my unbelief. But before we do that, I want to give every person here the opportunity to have a moment where you can say that I believe in Jesus Christ. Sin is something that we've all done. We were born into a sinful world. I said that earlier. And sin, whether we realize it or not, has separated us from God. A price needed to be paid for that, and Jesus paid that on the cross. He died, but he rose again. So that all we had to do to access God the Father was to humble ourselves and pray to him. Ask him to forgive us of our sins. And in that moment, Jesus through his Holy Spirit will come to live in your life. I'm not saying that everything will be perfect. In fact, the Bible says that when you give your heart to Jesus and when you become a Christian, trials and tribulations are coming your way. But listen, we live in a fallen world. Trials and tribulations are coming your way anyway. I'd rather do it with the creator living in me. I'd rather do it with the Prince of Peace living in me. I'd rather do it with his wisdom and his anointing than do it alone. Maybe you're here, this is your first time you've ever been to church. You know, God, I believe, orchestrates things to happen. Maybe you've never made this decision before in your life to to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you used to do this a long time ago. You used to be a Christian, but life happened. Familiarity grew. Offense happened. Maybe a disappointment started as one and it turned into five and it turned into 20. And and you just walked away from God, whether it was a slow transition or a quick one. But you know right now you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to come to Christ tonight. You know, in the last two weeks, we've had 100, over 110 people raise their hands and respond to this. Already today, I think we've had close to 30 or 35 people already. Jesus is real. The statues, that's not Jesus. 
It's a statue. Jesus died for you. And he loves you. So out of respect for the person next to you, could you just bow your heads, close your eyes? Just in this holy moment with God. And if you're saying, James, that's me. I'm that first person. I've never done this before. But what you're saying, kind of like that guy that you talked about, it's making sense. Maybe you're here and you're going, James, I'm that second person. I did this a long time ago, but I walked away. On the count of three, I'd love you to lift your hands because I want to pray for you right where you sit. And we're going to pray a prayer reflecting the, the journey I just took us on and what Jesus did for us. So from the front to the back and all the way up the sides, if you're saying, James, that's me. I'm that first or that second person. On the count of three, you lift your hands right now. One, two, three. All over this place. Awesome. A ton down here in the front, here on the side, there in the middle, up on the back, against the side wall, here in the front, two in the front on the left. Up in the back row, I see those three hands. Up in the other back row, I see that hand. Right next to the pillar, I see your hand too. That's awesome. God is good. Hey, if you lifted your hands, this is what I want you to do. If you lifted your hand, I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And we're going to pray a prayer together. And Favor Church, we're all going to pray this together. But for those that lifted your hand, I want you to pray this. And I want you to mean this prayer with all your heart, mean every word. And I know not just because of my experience, but because of what the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and begin to live inside of you. So say these words with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus come to you tonight. Come to you tonight. And I admit I've done wrong. Please forgive me of my sin that had separated me from you. I believe that you died, but that you rose again from me. So come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my best friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Can we give God praise for every person? that just responded. That's so cool. Thank you so much for listening in. At Favor Church, we're a family, and we believe that the Christian journey should not be done alone. If something really spoke to you from the message, we would love to connect with you to talk it over. Or if you prayed the salvation prayer, we'd also love to be able to share more about the decision that you've just made. Please visit us at favor.church next to learn more. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, simply tap on the share button and send it through. We love you. We're praying for you. Till next time.